Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Yukon Football Podcast. This is Amon Kidwai. Luke, Tucker, and I could not get together this week to preview the Central Connecticut game, but I'll do a quick preview of my own. And later on, we have a really interesting interview with Patrick Mayhorn, who has a really in-depth look at how the Huskies performed in their first weekend of the season. As it relates to Central Connecticut, I think it's pretty simple for UConn. They need to win. Quarterback Zion Turner needs to show up. He needs to demonstrate a better performance than he did last week and that he's up for the task of being the starting quarterback going forward. I want to see the offensive and defensive lines both dominate. It would be great to see a little bit of pass rush from UConn and a little bit of a better performance from the secondary against the FCS competition that they will be facing. We do not expect CCSU to be a strong FCS side, though they have had some good years. Recently, they've been well below 500 the last couple of years and expect them to be around the same this year. It's going to be a lovely day at the rent for UConn's home opener. I hope everyone that goes has a wonderful time. But that's really it in terms of the preview. We'll go on to our interview next. So hi, everyone. We have uh, Patrick Mayhorn here. He's uh, the weed writer. Some some are saying the only writer of <laughs> the uh, Utah State new newsletter, the Ag Ship, uh, formerly uh, on the Ohio State. He uh, also has a, uh, a college football website, meatmidfield.com, which is a very good resource for a different look at college football. Um, I'm a subscriber myself. I think it's it's a very valuable resource and it, they like to have a little fun over there as well so uh patrick how are you today i'm doing well i, I appreciate the uh the full disclosure there that you are a, a meet at midfield subscriber it's important to have ethics in uh yukon journalism and so i, I uh I'm, I'm glad to uh to have that off the top I'm, I'm i'm good though i'm excited to talk about this game so patrick what you didn't probably done did not expect today was uh, to be drawn up on charges on stand <laughs> i always expect you're that. being cross-examined okay serious allegations here and we're, we're gonna we're gonna examine them a little mm -hmm. how does that sound that's you know i i uh, every day i wake up and i assume that i'm going to be brought up on some sort of charge so i, uh, I I'm, I'm ready i'm prepared for this so the charges you're being drawn up on is being too negative about a uh, jim Moore and yukon football in the preseason analysis of this game uh -huh. Yeah. How do you respond to that after watching the watching the game this weekend? Um, man, I, I think that the Nick Charlton hire was good. I'm going to give him credit for that. I think that Nick Charlton is good. I think that he's a good offensive coordinator who is inheriting um, a, a really good running back in Nathan Carter and who went out and, and uh, got a really good center uh, from Dartmouth and, and has a couple pieces on the offensive line that will probably create 
a capable rushing attack this season. As for Mora himself, um, I, I don't really know how responsible he is for any of that beyond hiring Charlton, who probably should just be the head coach. Uh, I feel like maybe just make him the head coach. <laughs> I don't really know what purpose Jim Mora serves, but um, yeah, I'll give credit to the uh, to the offensive staff to the running game, which I thought was legitimately pretty good. There were there were some issues that Utah State had that I think made it look maybe a little better than it actually is, but um, nothing from this game really moved me on Jim Mora long-term because it, it, my, my, my worry about Mora as a coach is that he can't build a program because nobody likes him or wants to be around him for a very long time. And I, I don't know that one performance above expectation necessarily sways me on that. I still think that having Mora in your program long-term is bad for your program it's, it's sort of it's like if urban meyer wasn't very good it's 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 uh, you've invited a cancer into your football program but also you don't really get to benefit from it like you do with meyer so i, I still uh, i'm still staunchly anti-mora even if he made I, I think a good offensive coordinator hire um well i think that's oh, sorry, sorry i i just uh i don't know how long somebody like that's going to stick along or stick around because like you could get a better job that isn't working for jim mora pretty easily i think I think that it's kind of a balancing act and that, and this was discussed when the Charlton hire was made that Charlton was sort of a head coach in waiting, but we've seen this kind of backfire before mm -hmm. uh, with Edsel hiring Brett Lashley and Lashley came in and had one of the best UConn offenses since Edsel the first time or one of not probably not the best. I know I'm on, we're familiar with the, the legend of the sheriff being back in town. That, was, that, that one was a pretty, that one was a pretty good offense, but I think that was sort of the idea. Now, whether that comes to fruition or whether, um, whether uh, Charlton does end up leaving, it, it helps that uh, reports are Charlton isn't uh, that most, uh, he's a little rough around at the edges himself. So yep. maybe it's a situation where, uh, where two, two abrasive guys get together and they can they kind of find their, uh, they, they kind of mesh. But either way, it's a lot of speculation. Yeah. I think that there was a lot of good things, specifically on the offensive side of the football. I think that on the defensive side, it really came down yeah. to sort of one position group. But on the offensive side, I think that the running game itself was well-designed, and you could definitely speak to that. Uh, in, in addition to um, Guidon and uh, hey, Christian Haynes uh, being pretty, pretty tremendous run blockers, I'd say in the first uh, in the first game of the season, not only uh, and I think that's that's not a fluke. I think it's expected to continue. Is is that something you saw as well? Yeah, I, I think that that's fair. I think that there are legitimately some pretty good pieces on the offensive line, like I mentioned, and and Nate Carter is very good. Nate Nate Carter is, I think, going to be a kind of guy who can. Uh, I, I think he would excel within a bad system. I mean. He, did last year um and i think that in a uh, in a better system in a well-designed system which i think this is he's really only going to get better he's really going to only going to improve his uh his quickness his vision to cut back against the uh the grain which he did about 20 times in the first quarter of this game is impressive and it, it can break him out of a scheme and if the scheme is good he's only going to to add more to it so i, I think that the rushing attack the stuff that we saw from it, maybe not to the extent that we saw it where, I mean, I, mean I, I think UConn averaged almost 10 yards per carry in the first quarter. That's probably not sustainable, <laughs> but I, I think that 
being around five or six yards per carry, especially, you know, at what I think is going to be a pretty high volume. I can't imagine that UConn's going to throw the football a lot. I wouldn't personally, if I was UConn. Um, and so I, I think that if you can get, you know, four or five, six yards a pop consistently on the ground, when you're running the ball 45, 50 times a game, you're pretty happy with that. And one thing I liked too, about uh Charlton's system is that he kept it pretty, it, it's, seems like kind of basic, but a lot of, a lot of offensive coordinators, I feel like missed this mark is he, he kept it pretty simple mm-hmm. as the game started. And then it gradually introduced more complex concepts in the running game as the game went on, which kept it fresh. And I think, I don't think it's totally responsible for uh, UConn's uh, resurgence in the, in the latter part of the game. I think, I think Turner uh, started to step it up and make some better decisions, still made a couple of bad decisions, but he, I think he, uh, stepped his positions a little bit up, but I think the, the diversification of the running game definitely helped uh, helped UConn. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, uh, Surge late in the game. Is that something you saw? Yeah, I, I think the thing that Charlton does really well is, and this is a this is an old football concept. This is an option concept. Is is only having a few core uh, ideas in your in your rushing attack. It's it's really only three or four actual plays, and then he he you know. He varies on them with formations, with motion, with uh, slight changes around the same four concepts. Um, and, and the the reason that that can be so important and so valuable is that you get really good at running these couple of concepts. And and as you ease into a game, you started off with more basic stuff. But once you see that, you know, oh, uh, stretch is working. Stretch specifically was what was working in this game against against Utah State. You can start to add more wrinkles to that. You can start to get a little bit more comfortable because you know that your offensive line is seeing it well, that your offensive line is handling the responsibilities well, and that the, the running back has a good understanding of what the defense is and isn't doing. Um, and, and so I think that he, he has designed a, a rushing attack here that really can kind of grow into games and grow into a season. Uh, it's uh, it's the kind of system that you would draw up if you had a talent disadvantage and you you needed to become really good at something, just, just a couple things that you could then dress up to make it look like you're doing more than you actually are. It's, it's that, uh, like I said, it's, it's an old option concept. It's the way that the, uh, the, you know, the triple option service academies are doing it now. It's the way that Oklahoma did with the wishbone in the seventies and eighties. It's uh, this has been around forever and it's, <laughs> there's a reason it's still here. It's because it's good. It works. It's a, it's a good way to design a rushing attack. And I think that that's sort of what we saw on Saturday is that 
once he uh, felt comfortable with those core concepts out of the the base looks, he was willing to add more. And they they had these extra looks that they could add and still be successful. Where they could, uh, you know, Utah State had adjusted by the second, third, fourth quarter. So you need to add more window dressing. You need to make it look different to uh, to avoid those adjustments. And I think he did a good job of that. Yeah, I think that some really cool things that I saw. I. I... <laughs> There was a, a couple a couple plays or where that he pulled the center outside. I like that. There was some outside trap, which I'm a, I'm kind of a sucker for outside trap. And I think that's something that if you're if you're running off tackle and you're seeing that's working, then that's that's a new wrinkle to wrinkle to kind of bamboozle the defensive line. And I was interested in your take on how uh, Utah State was were reacting to and uh, and sort of. Uh, confounding this UConn offense and especially uh the especially uh in the passing game sort of the different looks that they were throwing at Turner just because uh that inter- the interception by uh what's his name Ike Ike Larson yeah Ike Larson that was a, a pure athletic play mm-hmm. but it, it did seem like they were doing a very good job of keeping him uncomfortable uh yeah yeah, I, I think that that's I think that's fair. Uh, so, to to understand what Utah State does defensively, it requires a a very brief uh, history lesson on Ephraim Bonda, who's the defensive coordinator out here. Um, he his his uh, claim to fame was that he was the secondary coach on those really good Miami defenses under uh, when Manny Diaz was the defensive coordinator. So twenty. 16, 2017, 2018, those defenses. That was Bonda who came up with the turnover chain. He is of that ilk. He is a Manny Diaz guy. Um, and what that means functionally is that he really only has one thing that he wants to do defensively, and that is create as much confusion and chaos as possible. He does it with pressure. He does it with sort of unique looks in the secondary with, with different coverage stuff with the uh, there was a point in the game. I don't think anything came of it because they didn't throw to his side, but there was a point in the game where Byron Vaughn's defensive end was playing cornerback. He dropped way outside and was covering an outside receiver. Um, and it didn't end up, you know, nothing came of it, but that's the kind of thing that Ephraim Bonda is not afraid to do is do things like drop a defensive end into coverage so that he can vary where pressure comes from. And, and so I don't think we saw like, a ton of it. We didn't see the full Bonda playbook by any means in this game because I don't think that Utah State really wanted to open up too much. Yeah, um, yeah. but uh, I, I think you did see some of that, especially later in the game when it became kind of, uh, you know, uh, important for Utah State to get off the field, right? Like uh, the there was a third down play pretty late in the game. This was another play from Mike Larson where uh, this was the, the third down that, that UConn did not convert and then kicked the 54 yard field goal to cut it to four. Um, on that third down play, you see Utah state bring sort of a disguised pressure with a corner blitz from Mike Larson. That's the kind of thing that a, a freshman quarterback just does not, you don't know what to do with that. You're a freshman quarterback. You've never seen this before. You've never seen a safety blitz like that before. This is not a thing that happens in high school, even at the high level of Florida high school football, where Zion, Zion Turner is from. It's just doesn't exist. It doesn't exist down there. And so I think that was really the key here for Bonda was he knows that his defense is more athletic than UConn's offense. He knows that he can trust his cornerbacks largely to play man coverage as they did a lot of that. But when he needed to dial something up, he would just send one or two extra guys. It's, it was not a ton. It was not, you know, engage aid, everybody going, trying to, to, uh, 
trying to get to the quarterback, but he would bring one or two guys and he'd usually bring a safety because Zion Turner, like I said, I don't really know what to do with that yet. And that's understandable. He's a true freshman who probably didn't think he was going to play in this game. Um, and, and I think that uh, it, it was really, it came down to that. And then the, the interceptions are, are just, uh, you know, it's, it's go make a play ball. It's uh, <laughs> put your man coverage. And we think you're more athletic and go make a play. And that's exactly what Ike Larson did at the end of the game was he just jumped the pass. It was, it was man coverage and he just jumped it. Um, Cause he was uh, faster than Zion Turner. I think gave him credit for and uh, made a play that I personally didn't think he could make. <laughs> now I know he can. And uh, the interception earlier in the game was the same thing. I think it was a Hunter Reynolds interception. Who's not like, he's not an amazing athlete. He's fine. He's a Michigan transfer, uh, but he was in the right place at the right time and jumped to pass uh, the, the, the forced fumble in the second quarter was sort of the same thing. And, and I think that that's where a lot of uh, what Utah state was able to get going on defense came from was a, a couple sort of core blitzes that are maybe a little bit more exotic than you'd expect. Uh, and then sheer athletic ability, just having guys who can go out and make plays. Going forward, uh, Zion Turner has been named the starting quarterback. They're going to be rolling with a freshman. Uh, we, we saw a little bit of it as the game went on uh, some screens, some structured plays that they can, uh, they, they can drop to easily uh, get the ball out of his hands quickly and get it into the hands of the playmakers. So what can Nick Charlton do going forward? Uh, against Central and uh, in the subsequent weeks to to sort of make Zion's job earlier or easier now that he has more time to prepare to be the starter. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of those structured plays. Um, you know, there, there was uh, it, it felt like probably every every other passing play was one of those you know roll out, hit the tight end, or, or hit the uh, receiver who is rolling with you for you know he's three yards down the field, and that's uh, I would imagine going to be a pretty heavy part of the the UConn passing attack this season because those plays are easy. They're easy for the quarterback. They're easy for the receiver. They're usually open. It's it's a hard thing to cover. Um, especially when the rushing attack is working really well because the defense is going to be very aggressive in trying to stop that. And they're really not paying a whole lot of attention to um, the wide receiver who doesn't have a nameplate, right? <laughs> I, don't, I, I think Kevin Sclarcius didn't have a nameplate in this game. That's the kind of guy you're just not going to pay attention to. And I think, I think he had a good game. But uh, I think it's things like that. It's it's sneaking your guys out into the flats. It is sort of creating these uh, these easy completions. Screen plays I think are great for this too, especially when you have two good running backs uh, who are you know able to catch the ball. Um, and it's it's going to be a lot of that. I I do think that there was some actual like reading, you know. <laughs> making several reads, finding the best player to throw to, making the throw within a, a like a real passing play, a passing play that has multiple routes and things going on. Um, I, I think there was a, a, an actually decent amount of that in the fourth quarter. I was, I was fairly impressed with what I saw from Zion Turner on that, that, you know, the kind of penultimate drive. And then the last drive before he threw the interception, I think he was making some pretty good plays. He was finding uh is it Aaron Turner, the slot receiver who kept falling down? Mm-hmm. Um, he he found him several times. I thought on on plays that were, you know, closer to something like mesh, which is an actual passing play. Um, and, and so I, I think that he did show some signs of being comfortable enough to make a read or two. I, you're not going to want him to read the whole field this year because he's just not ready. He's not going to be there. It's not going to happen. But if he can make reads like that, you know, single read, double read, things like that, where he's watching a linebacker, watching a safety, then you can, you could do a little bit more with him. And I, I would expect that that is going to be the hope and probably the expectation. Uh, but if he's not 
there, then there is still that structured stuff you can do. You just can't do a ton of it because it, it'll eventually the play action will wear off and teams will stop really respecting it and they'll start covering the one receiver you're throwing to. Um, and, and so I think that having the ability to throw the ball five or 10 yards down the field is going to be really important for the, the balance of this passing attack. It's not going to be a whole lot deeper than that. The offensive line is just not not there, I don't, I don't think. Um, but being able to have slants where he is actually reading the defense or mesh or things like that are going to be, I think, pretty important for the balance of this offense. So switching, uh, switching gears to the defensive side of the ball, it, it seemed at least from where I was watching you, it, it was sort of a one man show on, on defense, Jackson Mitchell. He's, he's a dude. He mm-hmm. got a lot of love on TV, which is it's really good for him because he's been around for some really bad bad UConn, uh, UConn defenses, and he's, just, he's a solid linebacker. He's a solid college linebacker, and if he doesn't make the league, then he'll, he'll probably be a good coach somewhere. Mm-hmm. He's, just, he's just one of those type of guys. But what, what overall, what, what did you see from the UConn defense? It was funny. Before the game, uh, Moore explained how he was going to call defensive plays without a defensive coordinator, and he made it sound very compl- convoluted, like it would be multiple – multiple people yelling over the radio, shouting over uh, one another, the uh, linebackers, uh, second, the linebackers, the secretary's coach, all providing input at once. Yeah. When in reality, it's what happens in every college program is you get, you get feedback in yeah. your headphones from up top or on the sidelines. Yeah. And you use that to make the call. So <laughs> I was interested in, in what you saw about yeah. that around that. That is really funny to to explain that as if it's like not what everybody does. That's how you call plays. It's <laughs> that's what calling plays is, is that you get, you know, your coaches or you hired to, to give you advice on what they, they think you should call. There's no coach who's just calling the plays by themselves. It doesn't exist. Um, so that that is very funny. Yeah, I, I think that there were some parts of the defense that I liked. Um, Jackson Mitchell, obviously, when you have 16 tackles, you're doing something right. Um, I thought Ian Swenson played pretty well, his uh, his sort of battery mate in the middle of the defense. I think that there is something there with those two. Obviously, they've they're kind of the proven commodities of the defense. Um, the secondary struggled. The secondary had some some issues, and and uh, I, I think would have suffered more for it on the stat sheet if Utah State's receivers caught the ball a little bit better. There were there were some drops that really weren't inspired by anything from the defense. It was just like Justin McGriff has had drop problems for every you know season he's been at Utah state. And I think he's just going to be that kind of guy. And so he had a couple passes that he probably should have caught that he didn't. Um, Brian Cobbs had a couple, it seemed like he was getting called out of balance when he caught the ball, like every other drive, I think it only happened once or twice, but those probably should have been catches. Um, Kyle Van Leeuwen sort of is, is relied on to be the guy who catches everything and he didn't. And that's uh, you know, there were a lot of things that I think that, that UConn's, secondary and past defense benefited from that were not anything having to do with what UConn was doing. But I think the linebackers, specifically the middle linebackers, the outside linebackers, I did not notice at all. I, I, I didn't. Uh, yeah. They didn't do anything. They uh, honestly, <laughs> when I, when I watched a bit of the game back, it, they fell into those two guys are pretty experienced. They fell into a lot of the trap that the very less experienced uh, Utah state outside linebackers yeah. fell into yeah. just like just like going and finding a guy and following him and have it be a blocker, yeah. not, not a guy with the ball. And yeah. so that was, that was troubling given that those guys are relied on to be the more experienced uh, players on the defense. Yeah. Besides it, Mitchell and Swenson. 
yeah, it felt like they were sort of just serving as members of the pile, right? Like especially against mm-hmm. the run, they're just sort of there. They're they're ancillary on the you know they're they're on the outside looking in of of a uh, of any scrum that was coming about. And then in the passing, I didn't see them at all. I didn't see them at all in the passing game. Um, and, and so I, I think the uh, the middle two I thought played pretty well. The the defensive line again, I just really didn't notice. Uh, I, I don't think that it really did a whole lot. It was the the run defense that was there was because of the two linebackers who I mentioned, there was not really a whole lot happening up front that I noticed. So I, I think that there was, uh, you know, the, 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 the positives are the guys who I think that, uh, you know, UConn sort of expected to be positives and the negatives were sort of the same way. And then there mm-hmm. were, you know, I, I don't know that the defensive line was negative necessarily because Utah state didn't like run the hell out of the ball. It was, it was sort of the, the best runs that, that Utah state had were uh, Robert Briggs freelancing <laughs> being really hard to tackle. Cause he's five foot six. I, I don't know that that's on the defensive line necessarily, but I just didn't notice it. Um, I, I think that the, the secondary was kind of in the same boat, but uh, save for uh, is it Caleb Anthony, the uh, the yeah. quarterback? He was bad. He was really, really bad. He was getting picked on pretty much all game. I, mm-hmm. I think they, uh, I think that Logan Bonner is pretty good at uh, identifying cornerbacks who are not able to hang and and identified him pretty quickly and just it, it when in doubt just throw at number five and it it worked out pretty consistently, um, especially on that last drive. I think the I think the last. Uh, the drive that ended with a Cobb's touchdown that pretty much put the game away. Uh, I, I think it was, if memory serves pretty much exclusively just throwing at Caleb Anthony and assuming mm-hmm. he would do something wrong. And he uh, did pretty much every time. Um, so the, I, the thing that I came away from the defense is like, there weren't quite as many negatives as I expected, but there certainly weren't that many positives. I think it's just the two guys and then a whole bunch of, uh, you know, uh, a whole bunch of neutral and then a couple not very good pieces. Yeah. I think that, <laughs> It's, which is fair because when you when when coming from the outside, you think of UConn defenses, you think of some really historically bad units. Mm-hmm. And I think that this unit, I don't expect it to be historically bad. I don't expect it to be a strength of the team, except for the uh, linebacker position, obviously, and maybe a maybe a, a safe uh, one of the safeties. I think I think Jones Jones is all right. He's he's not, I don't think he's quite at the level as the other guys ironically one of their better quarter cornerbacks from last year hasn't really sniffed the field at all this year and is listed as a backup so not really sure what's going on there but i think that i don't really think you can attribute it a whole lot to the scheme although last year they did run the four three for a good portion of the year mm-hmm. which is not gonna help things no. a whole lot. so that's I think that it's a good thing that they've looked into getting rid of that, but I think that eventually uh, one of the outside linebackers who was a starter last year, who was actually not bad. That is a backup this year, Hunter Webb. I expect him to sort of force his way into the, into the starting lineup. It might be a situation of just the, the um, position change or sorry, uh, formation change, not really suiting him because he was, uh, he was one of the outside middle linebackers last year that yep. found himself without a position, I guess this year, but I expect him to, to find his way instead of into the starting lineup in, in place of one of the two transfer outside linebackers. So that might be a little boost. One thing that I did notice, and I'm not sure if it's, this is just me looking with a, with a finer tooth comb compared to last year, but I think that UConn disguised their coverages a little bit more than I expected. Mm-hmm. There were a couple of times where you, you could just see them 
just uh, shift from man to zone, vice versa, like it looks like right after the snap. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. But other than that, they didn't really uh, do any crazy blitzing. They didn't really sort of throw any crazy looks there. So yeah. I don't know if there was anything scheme wise that you could that you took away from it. Yeah, I I think that the uh, the ability to design to dis- disguise coverages is a positive one, especially against teams with a lesser quarterback. Which is I'm going to assume most on the schedule. I don't I don't know that there's a whole lot of quarterbacks UConn is going to play this year who are better than Logan Bonner. I think Logan Bonner is one of the better quarterbacks in college football, and so against him, that stuff isn't going to play super well because he just he's I mean he's like 28 years old. He's been playing football for really long time he knows what he's seeing um but but to be able to Patrick, do that, you're telling me you don't rate jj mccarthy as a quarterback <laughs> who appears on yukon schedule uh well uh, maybe not as a guy who can read a defense he can throw the ball really <laughs> far that's for sure um but i i think to be able to do that is going to be valuable against a lot of the teams on this schedule uh so yeah it, that i would consider a positive um the the pass rush specifically i was uh, i would say if if i'm if I'm watching UConn every week, I'm going to be pretty frustrated if there are not more blitzes because the the guys who are responsible for generating a pass rush on this defense are just not very good at it. They're just, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, Colin McCarthy sticks out. Um, all of the guys on the defensive line, all of the defensive end, they're just not very fast. They're, they're not going to get to the quarterback because they're not very good at getting to the quarterback. Wow. It's, it's uh, Football can be pretty simple sometimes. These guys aren't very good defensive ends. So I, I think that... I, I would be pretty frustrated if there are not more designed pressures. I understand that the secondary is not very good. <laughs> you don't really want to leave it out on its own, but also they're going to get beat anyway. It's, it's not like, uh, you know, it's not a huge difference in how they're getting beat, but if you're not bringing any pressure at all, they're just not going to, there's not going to be any pressure. I mean, there was, you know, one sack, three tackles for loss in this game. And the one sack was that Logan Bonner fell down. You know, he he was scrambling and sort of fell down and that's, uh, that's it. There was really not any significant pressure on him throughout the game. And I think that that is, uh, I think that's got to change. And I think the only way it's going to change is with scheme stuff. And I I don't know how comfortable UConn is going to be with that. I would guess it gets more comfortable as the season goes on, but there is not a guy on this team who is going to be that kind of uh, just plug him in and he can be an automatic pass rushing weapon. It's got to be generated somewhere. And I, I, that was uh, the disguising stuff is encouraging, but there's got to be more upfront happening. Yeah. That, that was actually no on this week's depth chart that came out literally minutes before we started this, uh, that uh, Colin McCarthy had been named uh, starting defensive end over uh, McDuffie from ODU. Uh-huh. And I think that is an attempt to generate a little bit more pass rush without leaving without, like you're saying, hanging the uh, secondary out to dry just yeah. because it's, it's tough to generate a whole lot of pass rush. Like I, I think McDuffie's a fine player, but you're starting, you're starting two two nose tackles. Yeah. A one and nose tackle one, uh, one uh, lining up off tackle. So yeah. that it's going to be hard to generate uh, any pressure just with those two uh, archetypes right there. And then Watts, is a pass rusher who can't pass rush. So yeah. that's going to be, that's going to be a, a sort of an issue right there. But yeah. I, that was actually going to be one of the next things I was going to ask you and you answered it pretty great that uh, UConn is going to have to start sending some uh, pressure if they want to get off to the quarterback or even make the quarterback feel a little bit uncomfortable because they just don't have those guys. Um, they, they lost them to TCU, uh, the NFL draft and uh, for personal reasons in the uh, spring season. So that's just 
it's just the fact of uh, the, the fact of the matter on, on the defense. Yeah, a, a gap pressures, a gap blitzes are your friend. I, I think uh, Jim Mora maybe kicking on some South Alabama film this season would be beneficial because you've got two middle linebackers who I think can't rush the passer, and that's about it. I, I don't see a whole lot else in the way of passing, you know, pass rushing potential here. So a gap pressures, especially with a, you know, an odd front, uh, I think would make a lot of sense. I, I, that would be valuable for what they are doing. I would, I'd like to see more of those. All right. So we're going to bring it on home here. Um, did uh, this weekend, I know we've established you're not a more fan. You mm. don't think that I think UConn's best, uh, best chance would be to make the offensive coordinator, the head coach did uh, uh, the sort of base level that they showed this weekend in a loss. It was a more than one score loss. It was still a loss, but you think what they showed this weekend has revised your uh, opinion on number of wins total for UConn this year. Let me, I have to, uh, let me pull up the schedule while I answer this. Um, I, I think that the, uh, I, I will take a, uh, a positive from the fact that they did not fold legitimately. It sounds like a, uh, you know, a compliment that's actually an insult, but I, I mean this legitimately, they did not fold. They did not give up. They, they stayed in the game. They kept playing. They were in it in the fourth quarter, they were competing and that is not a given. They were playing at altitude. It was really hot. I was taking pictures and I was tired. I wasn't even doing anything. I'm just, you know, walking around. <laughs> they got really uh, slim uh, sidelines. So sometimes I had to sort of duck behind the benches and that was about the mm. hardest thing I was doing. And I was, I was exhausted by the end of the game. So it was, it was hot. It was hot. It's, it's uh, that altitude change is a real thing. It is not just something that people say. And so uh, that they stayed in the game that they continued to compete, that they did not give up is encouraging for the, the, you know, the culture side of things. It's, it's encouraging that there was fight in the team that they were excited that they came out to play, obviously keeping that going so that it's not just a week zero first game you play thing. Um, not letting losses get too much to you, which can be hard. It can be a hard thing to do where you're, you know, there's a slate on this uh, on this schedule here of four games coming up where you're playing Syracuse, Michigan, NC State, and Fresno State. You're gonna lose all four of those games. Probably not gonna be very close in any of them. And uh, being able to bounce back from that and go and and compete against a team like FIU, a team like Ball State, is is going to be a pretty important test. And it's one that I don't know there is an answer to yet. It's, it's one of those things that you just don't know until you see it, but um, looking at the schedule, the way that they competed here, I, I think that there are, uh, you know, I came into the season thinking that there were probably three or four possibilities at wins. I still think it's about three or four, but rather than uh, the only win being over, you know, uh, central this week, I, I think that there's a possibility they could go get somebody and, and UMass, I assume they were going to beat UMass, but um, wasn't like, that's the hope convinced of that yeah I, I, UConn has one good player and UMass has zero so it's I suppose that that's <laughs> um but uh I I think that this uh this effort that they had the energy that they had the uh the the fire and the competitiveness to stay in this game does uh, make me think that the FIU game the Ball State game are, are more in play here there, there's not going to be like a big upset on this schedule I don't think but you know, you can get one of those on the road, then you get to three, you get both, you get to four. I don't think they're going to get both. I, I think that three is probably still the maximum, but that's, that's not what I thought before. The, before I was thinking that there were pretty much two games that were even worth playing here. And, and that's, uh, that's no longer the case. I think they can compete with the FIUs and the ball state to the world, which is a step in the right direction. 
And I'm sure it would really warm your heart, heart if they were to jump up and get uh, someone, uh, say, a, a Jeff Hathley. Boston College. I'm sure that would do a lot to put UConn football in, in your personal good graces. Yeah, that would be one of the funniest things that has ever happened. So I, I would enjoy that. But I think just speaking to what you were talking about, like last year versus this year, that they didn't come out and totally fold. Last year, they lost their opening game to Fresno State. And again, uh, different teams, uh, like you've mentioned, uh, Utah State's kind of a team that might might screw around for a little while and then, uh, yeah. then, then suffocate you, which is kind of what happened this weekend, kind of not, because it looked like it was going to happen. And then UConn was like, Oh, we're going to decide to, to move the ball down the field and, and uh, have our quarterback throw more than behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah. And so that ha- ended up happening and made it closer than maybe uh, the score indicated at the end. But last year they, they came out and lost to Fresno state 49, nothing in the first week of the season. Yeah. And I think that's something that, could it was within the realm of possibility yes yeah, yeah, so just the fact that the game didn't play out like that is is sort of a is a positive overall and yeah i think that i agree with you that that line of four that line of four games especially the line of three games michigan north carolina state fresno state mm-hmm. that's going to define the season right there if it can be anything other than a year zero, a year negative one, however you want to call it after, uh, after Edsel 2.0. Yeah. I think that if they can, uh, first of all, score points in those games, just yeah. points, just do anything and not completely get run over. I think that would do a little bit for the team, for the team morale and team confidence. And then if they can come back uh, on the road at FIU, which I don't think either of us are expecting to be uh, a, an extremely good program this year. No, no, that, that would be fair. <laughs> yeah. So if they can, if they can jump up and either get that win or just play them really close and, and have a chance to win, keep it within a score at the end, I think that sets up really well for ball state, even on the road and sets up well team morale wise, at least at, B, at BC. I, I don't think I'm expecting, I'm predicting them to get a win there. And, but if they can uh, get the positivity back that they got from this game, as strange as it sounds in a 31, 20 loss, if they can get that back after some, some pretty brutal, uh, brutal non non conference, look at me. There's there's a non conference, non region. (laughs) But yeah, some pretty brutal uh, uh, P5 games i think if they can kind of get their mojo back near the end of the season i think that uh that will bode well and and sort of uh, be a good jumping off point yeah i i i think that the uh the thing to hope for this season is that they look like they care for all 12 games that they, mm-hmm. they there's never a point where they look like they don't care or like they're really upset that they're even there or that they're offended by the concept of playing for the coach who they have right like that situation last year um obviously that is improvement it's not going to take much for mm-hmm. for improvement having your players not hate their coach i think would be a step in the right direction um and then the other thing is is uh yeah competing with you know ball state competing with fiu beating umass you got to be got to beat umass got to beat central can't lose those games but uh competing with the other two you know potentially winnable games and i i think 
maybe not even maybe absolutely more important than anything that you're going to do on the you know uh, the the win loss record is continuing to nurture the young talent you have you're going to have a freshman quarterback all season it's going to be full season of a freshman quarterback probably the quarterback i mean you're certainly hoping the quarterback of the future if you got a full year of this guy keep him safe keep him keep him upright keep him confident give him little you know, spaces for growth. Don't ask too much of him. Don't, don't throw things at him that he's not ready for. Uh, you know, pro- like, uh, in the, in the, the, the lifting world, progressive overload, progressive, you want progressive overload progress for your quarterback, just little baby steps every week, nothing too big, nothing too significant. You you're looking for a stat line at the end of the year from Zion Turner, where it's like, you know, uh, 175 passes, he completed a hundred of them or something for, you know, 1200 yards, 11 touchdowns, seven interceptions. And then he, you know, ran the ball decently. Well, not much. You yeah. don't need to do much. You don't want to do too much. Just, just positive progression. And, and I think it's the same of a lot of the team is, is there's a lot of young players here. There are a lot of young players who I think are interesting and who could be good, you know, or guys who already are good like Nate Carter, but getting some of those young receivers involved, getting the, uh, you know, young members of the defense, some more confidence. It's uh, more than about the, the overall game. It is about having positive moments, having positive chances for, for growth and, you know, coming out of the season with a, a roster that is confident that it's headed somewhere. Cause I don't think that UConn has had that in a really long time is a roster that leaves a season feeling like it has an actual tangible goal to work towards that. It has, mm-hmm progress to make that off season. Cause when you don't have the, you know, you're not aiming for anything. You're not going to get any better. It's not going to waste. You're just you know going through the motion. Yeah. I'm lifting. Cause that's what I do. I'm mm-hmm. in the weight room in, in June. Cause that's, I'm a football player and that's what you do. But when you can have guys pointed in the same direction, when you can have them buying into something that that's going to be way more valuable than winning three or four games this season. It's, it's about keeping everybody engaged, keeping everyone feeling like you're working towards something and then keeping the young guys uh, involved and like they're, uh, you know, like they're the guys who are going to be in control of the team, which they are. It's, it's, uh, it's setting yourself up for the future. I think more than anything else. All right. I, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Thank you so much, Patrick. A tremendous, tremendous guest. Again, if, if you want to pimp anything, feel free right now. This is your spot. Sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. Uh, my Utah State coverage is www.theagship.com. I don't imagine that a ton of UConn fans would be interested <laughs> in that now, but uh, your support's appreciated all the same. Um, and then also uh, meet at midfield.com, which is probably a better plug because that's all of college football. Got uh, uh, the best message board on college football internet, which is to say the only good one. Um, and uh, <laughs> maybe one or two other ones, but uh, that, that it's, uh, it's good stuff. You can check that out. You can check out my podcast uh, that I do with uh, co-host Ryan on uh, Flipping the Field, which is a national college football show that tries to talk about all of college football instead of just Alabama and Ohio State. Uh, I actually specifically hate all of the teams who compete for national championships. So if you're interested in that, uh, you should check that show out as well. But uh, I believe that's all I have. Thank you for having me. That's the one uh, handshake meme you have with the UConn fandom. Is that yeah. <laughs> hating all the teams that compete for national championships yeah. and the college football structure as a whole? 